Oh, Father, you have been the faithful one. Lord, you have been faithful, faithful to us, Lord. You have walked with us. You have never abandoned us. You have never left us. You have never forsaken us. But, Lord, you have been faithful by our sides. You have been for us and not against us. You have been rooting for us, and you have empowered us to succeed. Lord, you have given us the keys of success in living the life, the abundant life that you want us to have as our Heavenly Father, as our Father God. Lord, you want us to succeed. You want us, Lord, to win. And so, God, you give us all the tools to win. You give us all the weapons and the armor to defeat the enemy. Lord, who tries to snare us with the spirit of fear, the spirit of doubt, the spirit of unbelief, and Lord, you deliver us from it all. We thank you that your power and your divine power of the Holy Spirit delivers us from sin, that you've released us who are captive and held bondage, held in slavery. Lord, because you broke the chains, Lord, by the power of your blood, Lord, and released us, Lord, into freedom. And God, it was for freedom that you set us free. Lord God, you want us to walk in Lord, what you gave to us, Lord. You want us not to be paupers, spiritual paupers, but to be spiritually wealthy because we are the children of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, God, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you that you are here today on this snowy day, Lord God, uh, as the seasons turn, Lord, uh, like the old song, summer and winter, springtime and harvest, Lord, proves that you're faithful. Lord, that there is order, Lord, that you keep in this creation. And so, God, we delight in every season of creation, every season on this planet, Lord, and every season of our life, Lord, Lord, because you are with us and you are for us and you are working for our victory. Oh, God, we thank you. We ask your blessing Lord, for those who are watching online, Lord, right now we pray a blessing that they would sense and feel the anointing of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit that we feel here. That God, you are omnipresent, so Lord, the same Spirit is with them that is with us. That's the same Spirit that you raised Christ from the dead with. He dwells in our mortal bodies. And so God, thank you for the victory. Thank you for the awesome presence of the Holy Spirit here today. We pray your anointing would be upon the Word of God as it's preached today. And Lord God, uh, let it do its work in the hearts and the lives of those who are hearing it, uh, Lord, and receiving it. Father, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Give him praise before you see it. Come on. Come on. Give him praise. Amen. 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 Well, I'm so thankful for the beautiful direction, uh, decorations out in the foyer and uh, the church. Uh, thank you, Kim and Margaret and anyone else who helped. We uh, really appreciate that. That is a beautiful place out there, isn't it? Amen. So thankful for people who serve. You know, God has saved us for eternity, but he also saved us to serve to do good works and to serve. And we're so thankful for all the volunteers in our church. I'm thankful for uh, Jill Jackson, who headed up the funerals over the last uh, month. We've had a lot of funerals here, unfortunately, but, uh, but we know those folks where they're at. So that's a good thing, right? But thank you, Jill, and all the ladies who have worked so hard. Would you give them a hand? Thank you so much for serving. Thank you, Jill. We also would like to, uh, I would like to introduce to you uh, a, a new married couple here. Mr. Uh, wedding was yesterday afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Mark and Patricia Creed. Would you stand? <clears throat> so we celebrate with you. We're so thankful for you and looking forward to what God continues to do in your lives. So we praise God for what he has already done. And, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Scott and Elizabeth Bird back here, we did, would you stand? We gave, did their wedding about a month ago. <clears throat> So thankful, thankful for God and the covenant of marriage that, uh, you know, God uh, unites us with and couples us with uh, the person that will help to perfect us. That means sometimes rubbing us the wrong way, right? Yeah. 
So I, I remember when I was dating my wife um, quite a long time ago, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I was uh, just recently, not too long, saved, uh, reclaimed, I should say, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I had a lot of uh, issues uh, from my childhood and bad habits that I had learned that I hadn't rid myself of yet. And my wife would tell you she was very patient with me, especially when her younger brothers would tease her about me, because uh, when we were supposed to go out on a date, and guys, this is terrible, I was always really late, really late. I just putzed around and thought, oh, nobody, I'll get there when I get there, you know. I never even thought about how rude that is, uh, you know, and <clears throat> she... she uh, she loved me anyway, because I was quite a catch, you know. I, uh, so anyway, but, uh, you know, I apologized to her after the fact, after I realized how, how rude that was and selfish, self-centered that was. But there was times I was like an hour late, hour and a half late, you know, and she's up there waiting. And, you know, it's a wonder she wasn't seething when I walked in the door. But again, I was quite a catch, you know. I, no, but I thank God for her, uh, for her long-suffering with me. And She's, uh, she's helped me with a lot of things, as uh, I'll share with you a little bit later. But, uh, but uh, you know, there's one thing you can't say about God is that you cannot say that he's ever late. He's never late. He's right on time. And, and sometimes we think he's late, but he's not. He's right on time. He knows exactly when the proper time for him to show up is. And, you know, the Jewish people, uh, the Hebrew people waiting, the Israelis waiting uh, for hundreds of years for the promised deliverer, the Messiah. I mean, waiting and waiting, you know. And the promise of the Redeemer was given all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Can you believe that? And it's just an incredible story. Uh, But uh, when we think about this, the story of Christmas. And I'm going to talk about Christmas today because he was right on time when he showed up the first time. And I'll, I'll just repeat later, uh, but just give you a spoiler alert. He's going to be right on time when he comes a second time. God is not late as some suppose him to be. And, and uh, as we look at this, as we look at his first coming, it's really the story of Christmas. And it's a story really that never grows old or irrelevant in whatever generation or whatever year it is. You know, uh, it seems that our post-Christian culture has forgotten, <clears throat> excuse me, has forgotten uh, what the real story of Christmas is. You know, they have lost that. And, and that's why when the, uh, you know, the container, you know, cargo container backups and everything, and over the last two months you've been hearing, is there going to be a Christmas? There may not be a Christmas. It's like, oh yeah, there's going to be a Christmas, you know. Um, Ernest isn't going to save Christmas. Christmas doesn't need saved. I'm dating myself now. You know, there, you know somebody doesn't have to save it. It's, it's already here. It's a fact. It's just your idea of Christmas may be what the culture calls Christmas, but the real Christmas is what uh, the Word of God talks about when Christ showed up and was born in human flesh. And uh, as they were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and there had been 400 years of silence between Malachi and the writing of Matthew when Matthew takes place, you know, they were, they were wondering, no prophets had spoken, and just wondering, you know, has God forgotten us? You know, some may have supposed erroneously that God might have died. That could never happen. He's an eternal God. No beginning, no end. Eternal. That's hard for our finite minds to understand. But I think it is significant in that God, at the Christmas time story, sent his one and only son to suffer and die on the cross for guilty sinners. Uh, to redeem those who were condemned under the law. We were uh, lawless people who violated God's laws in our minds, our hearts, it's in our DNA. All going all the way back to Adam and Eve, uh, the first uh, people created to procreate. And we inherited that sin nature. But the story of Christmas is how God can break just like that. The reality of eternal death because of sin for those who would believe in his son. So God sent forth his one and only son to die on a cross for us. So the Christmas story 
is really a story of redemption. We think it's a story of wise men, a story of shepherds and angels. And that's all part of the story. They're all part of that story. But the real story of Christmas is a story about redemption. Redemption's a wonderful word, which I'm going to talk about. Rick Renner shares a story. Rick Renner has a uh, foremost expert in the Koine Greek language in which the New Testament was uh, written in. And uh, he... <clears throat> Yeah, pastors a big, huge megachurch, has huge ministries all over the world, but in uh, Moscow and Russia, um, as soon as he could get in there and works there and uh, has this incredible outreach and ministry there. But Rick Renner shares a story of a friend who had a goat. Now, that may sound foreign to you, but this is, you know, in another culture. And this friend had this goat that was dearly, dearly loved. It was like a pet. And very late one night, he received a telephone call from the local police department that told him that uh, his goat had wandered away uh, far from home and had been hit by a car and was now laying in, uh, dead in a ditch by the side of the road, told him where it was at. So his friend was grieved and heartbroken, but he knew he needed to retrieve the dead goat and uh, dispose of the goat in a proper way that honored uh, his pet. So when he approached the ditch where the goat lay, he saw that the goat was not dead, but very much alive. Uh, its legs were bound with rope, in which the man now knew that someone had uh, tried to kidnap or steal the goat, and then dumped him in the ditch by the side of the road for some reason that he didn't know. So jubilantly, uh, this man leaped into the bottom of the ditch, pulled out his pocket knife, cut the ropes, and slapped the goat on the backside and said, get up! But the goat just lay there with its legs clinging to each other as if they were still bound by the rope. He hit her a second time and a third time, yelling, get up. And then he yelled at her one last time, get up, louder, you know, and hit her, get up. Uh, the friend mused to himself, you know, <laughs> bless this dumb old goat, dumb old animal. It's free, but it doesn't even know that it's free. So he reached down at that point, and he pulled apart the goat's legs, and then he lifted it and set it on, set its feet apart. And only then did the goat realize that it wasn't bound anymore. And so when we think about this story that Rick Renner shares with us, it makes me think about as believers that sometimes we need, we don't need to get free, okay? We're already free, okay? We need to appropriate by faith the work that Christ finished on the cross when he shed his own blood and he totally purchased our redemption and freedom. And although Jesus broke the bonds of slavery and the devil has no legal hold on anyone who calls Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, you've been purchased with the great price, the blood of the Son of God, and, and he has no legal hold on you any longer. Most believers still lay on their sides in the bottom of the ditch wishing they could get free when the chains that held them are an illusion because Jesus already paid the price for your release. That he broke the chains asunder with his divine pocket knife and he sets you free. And he wants you to get up out of the ditch and walk in faith and walk your life of faith together. Now, the Greek word Rick Renner points out is eskordizo. I hope my pronunciation is pretty close to what the Greek pronunciation is. is, is the very word that Paul used in Galatians 3.13 where he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's the Greek word that is used. And because this Greek word is used in connection with Jesus redeeming us from the curse of the law, Paul is actually plainly telling us that Jesus' sacrificial death didn't only pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, but his death removed us from living under the curse of the law henceforth. We are out from under the curse that was Upon Adam and Eve when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, he broke the curse. The first Adam sinned and the curse was given. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, died on Calvary, shed his innocent blood, and the curse was broken. Praise God for that. Amen? So Paul continues to tell us that Jesus' work of redemption was the reason that he came in the world. And the scripture up here says, out of Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. See, God's plan isn't just to save us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to take us to heaven, give us a home in heaven, but his ultimate plan is to adopt us into his family as his sons and daughters. And I think that's pretty awesome. It would have been enough for me if he had just forgiven me and given me even a hovel, which there aren't any in heaven, to live in in heaven. But he did so much more than that, much more than we deserve. He gave us everything that a king would give to his sons and daughters. Somebody say amen. That's good news. And actually, the word redeemed is a glorious picture of the redemption that Jesus Christ purchased for us. The word redeemed that Paul uses in this verse is derived from the Greek word estagadiso. As I said, it's a compound of two words. The first word is, an, is ex, E-X, and the second one, agodiso. The word ex is a preposition that means out. Say out. It means out. You ever want somebody out? Just say X. Okay, I don't know if you want to do that. They wouldn't know what you mean. But the word agardiso, when you put it together with the Greek word agardiso, it's notably used to describe the slave market. That word is, describes a slave market. I, I know that in American history we have the terrible um, sin of slavery, the scourge of slavery, the stain of slavery on our nation. And I thank God that a bloody civil war was fought to to break that sin, and there's been racism ever since then. It continues to this day. There's people who hate one another, and that's not the way it should be because slave market is a terrible place. I remember Abraham Lincoln, when he was a young man, he had, happens, happened to go to a slave market, and he saw how disgusting and how horrible it was. It broke his heart, and there's a story about that about in his biography. It was a disgusting place where human beings were bought and sold and traded like animals. They were treated like less than human beings. And this is the way the enemy has us in bondage before we receive Christ as Savior. And so when the words, those two words are compounded together, it pictures a buyer or a redeemer uh, who's has gone to the slave market intentionally with the intention of purchasing a slave for, the, uh, for bringing them out of bondage, out of place of slavery, so he can be set free. Not to buy them and let them be a slave for him, to, but to buy them off the slave market and release them into freedom. Now, I, I have to say, sometimes we don't know if you've been in bondage. You don't know how to live in freedom. Hence, a lot of people are still laying in that proverbial ditch as if they were still bound by the chains that the enemy held us in. But I mean to tell you, we need to learn to walk in our freedom. Walk in the freedom that Christ paid for you with his own life on the cross, the blood that he shed for you. Uh, you know, because of this, the particular word for redeem conveys the thought, listen to this, of a permanent removal from captivity. Now, I'm going to say this to you. You know, I'm not a uh, Greek expert, you know, but I do dabble. And I do know that the New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek, not classical Greek, but Koine Greek, although the two intermingle oftentimes. And it is a dead language. Say dead language. It's a dead language. In other words, uh, from the time the scriptures were written in Koine Greek, the original manuscripts, the definition and the meanings of those words have not changed as the American language has or English language has in America. We don't speak English. We speak American, actually. You know, people in England, what are you talking about? Well, we say, what are you talking about? Talking about a gale. Well, that's a jail. Why don't you just say jail? Because we spoke English before you did. No, you know, we could go back and forth on this. But I'm telling you that the Koine Greek language has never left. And the intentional meaning, God wrote it intentionally to preserve the meaning of his word for every generation until Jesus comes. It doesn't change. Uh, there are some paraphrases of the scriptures which are simply going through and with the intellect or the learning they have, uh, assume that the old King James means this and they 
uh, and there's so many errors in that, like the Living Bible was, tra- was a paraphrase, not a translation, but a translation uh, is supposed to be true to the earliest and most reliable manuscripts that are available that the church in a couple thousand years has preserved and protected. Isn't that awesome? This is God. I mean, he's brilliant, don't you think? Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, you know, the sad thing is he couldn't even get a um, couldn't even get awarded for it in this in this world because they don't like God in this world. They hate God. Those who don't know Christ, there's an antichrist spirit and an anti-church spirit that is alive and operating in this nation and around the world. It is ushering in the end times, the last days, before Jesus Christ will return a second time. When we think about his first coming, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek out the sinner so that we could find forgiveness and hear the good news that he paid the price for our sin and for took our place in judgment. The second time he comes, he's going to come as a conquering king. He's going to come and conquer and he's going to enslave the enemy and, and put him in bondage and he's going to judge the earth. Now, uh, I, I like the word redeem. I like the idea that, listen, I am not just temporarily redeemed. I am permanently redeemed. I am permanently free from captivity. You know, there's some things that we can do that we can fall back into the bad habits and the sin that we have committed in the past that will put us back into bondage. And I don't recommend that, although sometimes we fall prey to temptation. Other times we, I want you to be honest, we go around looking for temptation because we want to do what we used to do. Okay? I'm just being honest. But there are people listening to me today, online, maybe in this room, that have done that. You have one around you, oh, I I fell into temptation. No, you walked right into it on purpose. Okay? Walk in your freedom that was paid for in blood. Walk in the freedom that God has purchased for you. I love the fact that uh, God moves in the hearts of, and the lives of individuals who are practicing sin, who are believers, they trusted the Lord, but they have, have a hard heart or a conscience that has been seared as with a hot iron that is numb, that don't realize or don't care that they are sinning and breaking God's laws, His moral laws. But I will tell you this, that nothing is impossible for God. He can reach beyond that, and He, even though you may not feel it, you say, well, I know I'm sinning, but I don't feel any conviction. He, if you open up your heart and say, God, give me another chance, He will make you feel it. Because, you know why? Because God is a God of miracles. The same miracle that happened way back when The Virgin Mary was told by the angel that you are going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. How can this be, seeing that I have not known a man or have sexual relations, that I'm a virgin? You will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and he will plant this, listen, the seed of God in your womb. See? Sinless birth, sinless life, innocently uh, murdered on the cross in our place. He took what we deserved and paid for it himself. And I can tell you that when Jesus came on the scene, I tell you all the way back to Genesis, they've been waiting and waiting. The, uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites were waiting for God to show up, and they're wondering, where is he at? Well, God's timing is perfect. Say it. He's perfect. He knows what he's doing when the fullness of time, another translation, says that at just the right time, Christ came. God sent forth his son. At just the right time. Right on time. Right on time. Isn't that awesome? I, I, I know when my wife uh, 
and I have experienced different times, you know, the touch of God or in, in, like in uh, our last pastorate, you know, financially we were strapped. We weren't paid very much to begin with and voluntarily took two big, huge pay cuts because it was best for the church that I did that. Never complained, wasn't bitter about it, just got a second job for uh, the last year and a half I was there and, and God... God took care of us, but, you know, I never worried about God taking care of us, but there were times even then when we needed money, okay, uh, and uh, the treasurer would come and say, oh, we don't have enough money to pay you, okay, and just, oh, it is what it is, and so, you know, I'd go home, say, you know, uh, by the way, we're not getting paid this week, oh, my wife would say, because she, she didn't, she paid the bills, and she'd say, well, okay, Hey, we weren't fretting and worrying. It's like, maybe I'm, I, maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. I just didn't worry. And, and I, I'd privately pray to the Lord. And I, I remember so many times. This happened multiple times. So I'll just, this is what, how it would go. This is how it would play out. I'd be at the kitchen table in the morning on Monday morning and just say, hey, we're not going to get paid this week because there wasn't enough money in the offering to pay us. So, um, you know, let's just pray. We'd pray and ask God to meet our needs and help us. I'd get up and leave, go downtown to the post office because they didn't deliver mail. You went down and picked it up in a post office box, and I picked my mail up and then picked up the church mail. And, I, and there's, this happened multiple times. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody about our troubles, just our family, and we prayed privately. Went down, opened up the post office box, pulled it out, and this is one time. Okay, one time, opened it up, and my, uh, my brother sent me a box um, and it was a packet. He was doing a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Revelation. He was sending me his outlines for me to read and feed, give him feedback. And so he hadn't sent me anything for probably a month or so. So he finally said, and the note on the front, a plain sheet of paper, said, um, haven't talked to you for a long time, don't know how you're doing, um, but um, I'd like you to read these um, this, this Bible study and get back to me. But I uh, just thought I would send you something for you and for the church, this is for you, and I can't remember what the equation was, but I know there were $750, and I believe that was for the church, and another four or $500, this is for you and Donna. My pay each week was $400, and there was another 750 in there for the church, so I knew I was going to get paid this week, I'd get paid next week. See, God knows our needs. His timing is perfect. I would say, God, why didn't you show up on Sunday morning in the offering? You know why? It's because the church is not my source of supply. My God will supply all my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, God is using the church. He is blessing us here. God has really taken good care of us here through the church. But if this church couldn't pay me, I would still be your pastor. I would only expect God and know from experience that He will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I've got other stories. I mean, story after story, I can tell you. But we never stopped paying our tithe during that time. We pay, Donna would pay our tithe whether we got paid or not. You know what that's called? It's called... Sowing a seed of faith. It's just, you know, I'm going to pay it because I'm going to get it. Okay? We're going to pay it up front. See, that, see, that God blesses that. And, and so he's, his timing is always perfect. I think so many times we are, at least I am, very impatient. I, I, I have to intentionally <laughs> work on this fault. This is a fault of mine, impatience. It's a wonder we got through the seven years it took to get up to the point where we were going to build because I wanted it done yesterday, and yet God brought me through it. Going all the way back to when I was younger, going to Bible college and thinking that first year, I don't, I don't know if I can do this because I've never at that point, my life before then was so irresponsible, I don't know if I can finish anything. Okay, But God put a gift of faith in my heart, and I looked at it, and I thought, I'm going to get through this. And it helped having my wife, who was very disciplined, and she helped me. God helps us, and, and He shows up just right on time. When the fullness of time comes, he'll, He shows up, and it's not always on our 
clock. But I, I, my impatience, I have to work on it. And, and she helps me. She reminds me that we aren't in that much of a hurry. You know, yesterday we were coming back from Walmart. I hate going to Walmart, by the way. Um, and, and we were coming out, and we come up to that stop sign, you know, on the, um, uh, the uh, south side of, of the lot. And we come up there, and there's a stop sign. Well, there's this car sitting there. And I'm kind of looking down this way, and she has a stop sign, and there's nobody coming from all the other three directions, and I'm behind it, and I looked at mine and said, what is she waiting for? Now, I assumed it was a she. Okay, I don't know. <coughs> what is she waiting for? And I don't, I don't know. And I, and I thought about honking, and I thought, no, we're really not in that big of a hurry. I said that by faith, or thought that by faith. And, and I was about ready to, okay, I'm going to have to honk. And then, then all of a sudden I could see a car moving forward, and it was moving at a pace like this. I mean, literally. It was crawling around the corner. And me, being the impatient person, was, it was up here, it was driving me crazy. And in here, I, I was saying, you know, this is a test, okay? God is trying to teach you patience, okay? And, and so finally pulled around, and then slowly got up to the stoplight, and the light was red. But there was nobody coming. I wonder if they know you can turn on red, okay? <laughs> you know, all these things. You know what all that did is it caused me to lose my peace, okay? And God doesn't want us to lose our peace. So I was, I was good. Um, I did say, okay, push down the pedal, you know. <laughs> And which my wife would usually say, they can't hear you. <laughs> okay? You know, but, but sometimes we get impatient when, when we think God's not showing up at a time where people slow us down when we're in a hurry for who knows why we're really in a hurry. But many of us, to one degree or another, are impatient with God when we pray because He doesn't always answer our prayers in the timing or how we think He should answer our prayers. But God's timing is perfect. God is always right on time. You know, Joseph uh, had dreams when he was a teenage boy. He was just a young boy. He had these dreams of grandeur, you know. It was like, wow, I had these dreams. And he didn't have wisdom to go with the dreams. God gave him the dreams. But how many know you can get a gift from God but not have the wisdom to know how to treat it or use it? or to steward it. That's something we need to learn. We need words of wisdom from the Holy Spirit to help us to steward what God has given to us. And Joseph had these dreams, and he goes to his older brothers, and he says, hey, guess what? I had a dream. Oh, wow. Big deal. They didn't like Joseph, okay? They were jealous of him because he was their father's favorite. Uh, and, and that had all the problems that associated with that. And he shares his dreams. And he says, you know, I had this dream where it was like the, symbolized by sheaves of grain and, you know, these other things. But he had two sets of those dreams. And he says, in each one, <clears throat> uh, all of you were bowing down to me. And, and, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. You know, who do you think you are? Even his father rebuked him. You know, it's like, you know, didn't understand, but he rebuked him. You know, who do you think you are, you big-headed uh, younger brother? You think you're so special. It's all gone to your head. You know, uh, the coat of many colors that God gave you and didn't give us anything. Joseph had dreams, and it didn't happen. You know what happened instead? His brothers hated him so much that when he went out to check on them, uh, as his father told him to, they said, oh, here's that dreamer. He's come, he's come to spy on us and tell, go so he can tattle to dad about us, to our father about us. And, and so they plotted to kill him. Let's just kill him and get rid of him. They were going to murder him. Can you believe that? Murdering your own brother out of jealousy. And uh, one of the brothers talks him out of it and says, oh, instead, let's just, you know, put him in a hole. So they buried him and uh, not in, literally, but they, they held him captive. And, and, and instead of killing him, as they tried, you know, to concoct that, they, here comes a caravan going to Egypt, and they said, let's sell him instead. Let's get some money out of this. So they sell him into slavery, this dreamer, Joseph, who saw himself exalted to a high position of authority where his own brothers and father were bowing down to him. It didn't happen. God didn't answer that dream. He didn't bring it to pass. And Joseph could have gotten discouraged about it. Here he is in in, in this household, but God blesses him with wisdom, and he, he be, soon becomes, because of his gifts that God had put inside of him, the head, the steward of this wealthy man's house, Potiphar. 
you know, problem is. Then Potiphar's wife decides, oh, he's a handsome young guy. He's a hunk. I'm going to go after him. And she tries to get him to have sexual relations with him. And Joseph, no. My, my master, your husband, hasn't held anything back from me. He's been good to me, and I'm not doing this. And she tries over and over again, and finally he, she tries against him, trap, and he pulls away, and when he pulls away, trying to get away from she grabs hold of his, his clothing, and it pulls off, and he runs out of the house naked. And then she's embarrassed and afraid she's going to get caught, so she lies to her husband. You know the story. Lies to her husband and says, this man who you put in charge of your affairs, has tried to rape me. And so Potiphar, I don't know if he really believed her, but out of his own pride, he puts Joseph in prison. So now, this is bad to worse. And he's in this prison. And, And these two former servants of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, are in there that Pharaoh had put in there. You know the story, right? Some of you maybe don't. That's why I'm going through. But hey, one is the, is, the, is the royal baker and one's the, the wine taster, food taster, wine taster. And, and so uh, for some reason, Pharaoh got me. And so they each had dreams, didn't know what it was. So they, Joseph said, you know, God, I don't interpret them, but God's given me the ability. And so he interprets their dreams. You know, baker, you're going to die. Your head's going to get chopped off you're going to be restored back to your position. And, that, and he says, when it happens, and when they came to get him, he said, would you please put a good word in for me? Get me out of here. I'm here. It's not right that I'm here. And so they, he agreed, okay, and then he forgot about it. Have you ever had somebody tell you they're going to help you and then they don't show up? Uh, this is a big deal. He's in prison. And he had these dreams of grandeur, and they're not happening. It's, everything's gone bad to worse. He could have thrown up his hands and quit. But you know what he did? He still had, I believe, beating in his heart, the faith in God, that God who gave me this dream, he's going to bring it to pass. My current situation does not mean that this is going to be my history. It's not going to be my, it's only going to be a part of my biography, but my, my whole one. God writes the last chapter in your book of life. And so what happens is finally Pharaoh has these very troubling dreams. Long story short, the, bake, or the, the wine taster suddenly remembers because Pharaoh's wise men who aren't so wise try to interpret the dreams as nothing. He knows it's fake. They're just trying to save their skin. But uh, this Wayne Taylor sticks his neck out and says, hey, I know somebody in prison who interpreted my dream, and it came to pass. Brings Joseph in. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. It's about a seven-year famine, seven, or seven years of prosperity, seven-year famine. And so he puts Joseph in charge of it all. And when the famine comes, guess who comes to buy grain? His brothers. Okay. And they come in, and Joseph recognizes, they don't recognize him. They stand before him, bowing down before him. Later, dad comes, and, you know, Joseph's dreams are fulfilled. When did they get fulfilled? In God's timing, not Joseph's. You know, you may feel like you've had a promise from God about something. You say, well, where's that? It'll be here right on time if God promised it to you. You don't know the time. Well, here's the thing. Moses also, living on the backside of the desert, had to flee Egypt because he murdered someone who was abusing one of his countrymen or one of his uh, fellow Israelites. And so he flees for his life on the backside of the desert, has a life. And just out of, no, out of nowhere, suddenly, as God has promised Israel, he's going to send to deliver. There's been a prophecy going around. You're going to get delivered out of bondage. They've been in bondage for about 400 years. And, and at just the right time, Moses shows up on a mountain watching his father-in-law's sheep. And suddenly, he looks over and sees a bush that is burning, but it's not consumed. And he turns aside, the Scripture says, to see this great sight. And a voice comes out from the bush that I'm sending you to deliver my people from bondage. I've seen their oppression, and I've seen their, and I've seen their tears. You know, 400 years, prophecy wasn't fulfilled, but at just the right time, and the right time is always God's time, not our time. God was working in those Israelites some uh, issues of character and understanding of who he is and what he had called them to do, but at just the right time. Now here we see he delivers them out after the plagues are poured out and Israel flees. You know, Pharaoh finally lets them go after the death of the firstborn. You remember the story? You've seen 
you know, seen it on TV, right? You know, I hope you read it. Uh, and they're backed up against the sea, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, so he comes with his armies of chariots and horses to annihilate them and bring them back into bondage. God does what? He puts up a fire, a pillar of fire, to protect them. But there's a sea in front of them. Where are they going to go? There's no escape route. It was a terrible military strategy on Moses' part. And what does God do? He parts the sea. Did I tell you earlier that God's a God of miracles? In fact, if you, if you, if you really want to be a Christian, you've you got to believe in miracles. Okay? Okay? Part, they, they part on the, they leave on the, through the dry, on dry ground across the sea to the other side. And then the pillar of fire goes away. And in their insanity, they follow after them. And they're all drowned. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. God's deliverance. When did, it, when did, the, when did the deliverer come? When did God call Moses at just the right time? Okay. When did he flee Egypt at just the right time? Okay. When did he, uh, when, when he was on the mountain, uh, what happened? At just the right time, God shows up. Moses there right at the right time. Moses goes back just at the right time. Okay. Deliverance comes at just the right time from Pharaoh and his chariots chasing after them. God is a God of order. He's never late. He's always right on time. And so uh, right now, uh, Genesis chapter 3, you know, it's been thousands of years since the promise of a Redeemer were first given to Eve way back into the Garden of Eden uh, when they sinned in chapter 3. Genesis 3.15 says this, God says to the serpent who tempted Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He tells Eve that you're going to give birth to a son and he loses that son. is not going to be just any son but he's going to be a deliverer who's going to set things right. She thought when she gave birth to her firstborn, oh, God's answered his promise. And God, no, but several thousand years later, Jesus Christ shows up just right on time right on time. So, uh, you know, it's an incredible thing, the story of Christmas. God sends his angels to action. He says, you go do what you got to do. You know what you got to do. Um, you know, the um, Rome sets up a taxation that moves Joseph and Mary right to the place where they need to be at just the right time when she's ready to give birth in Bethlehem where the prophet several hundred years earlier prophesied where the Messiah would be born. There's a no vacancy sign on the end. The birth had to take place in, an, in, in a stable. But while this is happening and after it happens, there's angels who show up on the hillside or an angel and announces to the, some shepherds out watching their sheep that night that the Son of God has been born. And the three wise men appear and they see a host of angels singing and giving glory to God. But then they go to worship the first, uh, the first to go worship the Christ child. You know, it, it wasn't until a couple years later, some people we tied in the Christmas story because it's written there in Luke, but the wise men show up from, we believe, from Iran. So you say, can anything good come out of Iran? Oh, yeah. In fact, there's a revival going on there right now because God shows up. Where there's darkness, the light comes, okay? okay? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So we need to pray for those in Iran, for the move of God through the church and in that culture and in that nation. But God shows up, and these wise men leave, and you think, well, they should be there on Christmas Eve. Well, that's what we think. That's what all of our pageants are about. But no, they showed up two years later. They showed up right on time, right on time. You know, at, when Jesus Christ returns... What do we know? What do we see at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 9? Knowing this first, when talking about the second coming of Christ, you know, we keep preaching Jesus is going to return. I remember back in the 70s when I was learning and growing in my faith uh, as a backslider came back to the Lord, and I, I was like, oh, everybody was everywhere. It was Jesus is coming back. And, 
And Henry Kissinger, he's the Antichrist because we did this with his name and his numbers come up 666 and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm listening to Prophecy Radio and I'm just like, oh, God's showing up. You know, uh, uh, Thief in the Night is a great movie series that shows up, scares people to death, you know. In fact, uh, just recently my oldest daughter said, Dad, when we watch those movies, it terrified me, you know. And it's like, well, it's not the intent to terrify. It's intent to get you ready to meet the Lord. But she said, well, I was terrified of those movies and I didn't know that. She never told me. But, you know, Jesus is going to come back. I'm not sure it's going to be like any of the Left Behind movies or the Left Behind book series. I, you know, but I do know this, that he's coming back. And, and yet, you know, he didn't show up back in the 70s when we thought he was coming. He didn't come in the 80s. There was 80, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 88. Somebody wrote a book. And when that didn't happen, the next year he wrote another book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 89. You know, he, he failed. He wrote another book and he was smart enough then to quit writing books. Because no man knows the day or the hour. It's in God's own hands, in his own mind, his own calendar. But there's going to come a day when there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God's going to blast and the dead in Christ are going to rise from their graves and meet the Lord in the air. And we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that a great thing to look forward to? Listen, if you don't look forward to that and the hope of his return isn't in your heart, you love this world too much, I warn you to remember Lot's wife. We're only here temporarily. That's the story of Christmas, chapter 2, the sequel. Peter says this, knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, quote, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, we've heard it preached, we've heard it taught, we've gone to prophecy conferences, we've listened to prophetic radio programs, and still he hasn't come. Well, at just the right time, he's going to come because Peter in verse 9 says this of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God is waiting for more people to find Christ. People around this globe need to find Christ as Savior. People around this globe need to maybe for the very first time hear the message of the gospel and be given an opportunity to choose life over death and heaven over hell. And it's up to us as the church of Jesus Christ to make sure that that happens, that the world is reached. Hence why we love missions and we love missionaries. Listen, God is going to show up right on time it's going to be just the right time when he returns. And secondly, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I'm going to wrap this up really fast. But secondly, God meets us right where we are, right on time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and he came. Why did he come? He came to meet you and I right where we are, right where we live. He came to meet humanity right where they were and right where they are and to identify with his creation. How would he do that? He was born in, into a, 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 a human, into human flesh without sinning and lived a sinless life. He understands because of the incarnation he understands our weaknesses and our failings, yet He loves us enough and loves us enough to die in our place on the cross. It's the miracle and the wonder of the incarnation that He came down to where we dwell and dwelt among us. He didn't have to do that, but He chose to do it out of grace and love and mercy. He went to the slave market and redeemed us and set us free from the penalty of sin and death and gave us an eternal home in heaven. And thirdly, God wants you in his family. God wants you in his family. He came to what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. He wants to redeem your life from emptiness and destruction. You know, he doesn't want to, and he will do this because he's a God of grace and mercy. Like my dad, he got saved on his deathbed. And his, his soul was saved. My dad's in heaven, and I look forward to seeing him in heaven one day and seeing the redeemed and, and, and see him in, in heaven with the Lord. But his whole life was wasted. It was, it was, it was just rotten and wasted. 
I'm thankful that he's in heaven, that God loved him so much that he gave him that last chance. And I'm thankful my dad listened that time. The Holy Spirit broke through with conviction. But God really wanted to save him when he was young so he could save his life from destruction, so that he could have enjoyed an abundant life, so that we, his children, could have enjoyed having a father who was nurturing and loving and would guide us and lead us in the way of God. You see what I'm saying? God wants to redeem your life. Not just save your soul, but redeem your life. He wants to deliver you from the plans that the enemy has for your destruction. You know the enemy, the devil, hates you? Uh, Parents, grandparents, you know the devil hates your children and your grandchildren? That he wants to destroy their lives? He wants to rob them of the purpose that God intended for them? He wants to destroy their destiny? That's why it's so important that we realize that the story of Christmas, of redemption, is, is for us. It's for our children and our children's children. He wants to release you from the bondage of falling always into the temptation to sin. To just lead you around like you have a ring in your nose. Just like pulling you around. He wants to break that bondage. I shared before my son-in-law, Mark, married to my oldest daughter, He's a pastor in Bismarck now, a very successful pastor of a good, growing church. But he was on his way to becoming an alcoholic like his father, his father's father, and his father's father's father, and like his aunts and his uncles. Generational sin. And yet he was so dissatisfied in his soul Raised in a Lutheran church, so he knew about God, but he didn't know God. You know, you can be in a church and not know who God is. And the emptiness inside of him, after partying the night before and another night of drunken carousing, he just cried out to God, Oh God, if you're real, please show me. Send somebody to help me. He gets out of his pickup truck on the campus at Minot State University and a guy runs up to him that he was an acquaintance with, not a friend, and invited him to go to Chi Alpha, a Christian college group, meeting at the Assembly of God Church in Minot. And my son-in-law went there and he found Christ as Savior. And he was redeemed off the slave market of sin and all of the plans that the enemy had to destroy his life and his children's life and their children's lives was broken just like that broken. God wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for your children and your grandchildren. God redeems us. He transforms us and he, t- he eventually is going to take us to his home to live with him in eternity. But right now in this life, we can live an abundant life because of the Christmas story. We can live a life free from the condemnation of sin and hell and judgment. We can live a life, the abundant life that God wants us to live here. We don't have to wait to go to heaven to be free from the bondage of sin. We can have freedom right here and walk in freedom. I'd like you to bow your heads in prayer as we close today. I'm just going to ask you, you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need help. I'd 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 like some help today. Just would you pray for me? Lift your hand up real high right now. Just I need some help. Amen. Amen. I'm looking around. 